What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today's guest is a very special guest. Today's guest is somebody who I have been learning from and studying and who I have been influenced by heavily for literally the last seven plus years. And the guy I'm talking about today is Christian Thibodeau. Christian Thibodeau is somebody who I um, actually, he's one of the first people I started following in the industry. Back when I was a grocery store clerk, yes, Cody McBroom was a grocery store clerk at Rite Aid on Pack Highway in Federal Way. So if anybody is in the Washington area, they know exactly what I'm talking about. But back then, I would, um, I had that job and I had another job. My other job was uh, a community center maintenance guy. And on both of those jobs, I used to go hide out in the back. I'm not shitting you. I would go hide out in the back. <laughs> kick it, put my feet up, and I would read articles. I would literally just study fitness. I would learn how to change my body. I would learn how to train harder, how to build more muscle, how to burn more fat, how to get stronger. Like that's all I cared about. And at this time, I didn't even have clients. But I just wanted to soak up information and change. And I made a huge transformation at this time in my life. I was 18 years old. And one of the guys who I was really looking up to and who I was really influenced by was today's guest. And that's Christian Thibodeau. Christian Thibodeau owns Thib Army, and he's really, really well-known from all the years of content, all the years of work that he has put in on the T-Nation side. Like, he is one of the guys that – I mean, he he was T-Nation, to be honest with you, for a long time. And I don't know if I can say that or not, but it, it's the truth because he was all over that site. And I remember reading every single article and book and, and program that he ever put out. I still remember um, – he's going to listen to this, and he's going to laugh – Built for Bad was one of your programs way back, man, and, and I used to love that program, and that was actually one of the craziest gains, and actually one of the most pivotal moments of, I started kind of really looking at things differently. He was actually one of the guys that introduced full body training to me as well. So as you can see, I'm a major fan of Christian Thibodeau, um, and by his neurological profile type, he's going to listen to this, and he's not going to accept those compliments well, as you guys will learn here soon, but Christian has been putting out content for years now, I mean decades. He's been he's been training Olympic athletes, professional CrossFit athletes, professional athletes in general, bodybuilders, um, powerlifters, like you name it, he has trained them. He has created some kind of product, book, content, or video on damn near every single thing you could possibly think of when it comes to training, so he is the go-to guy when it comes to mastering the art of program design and mastering the art of coaching. And I firmly stand beside that. I've met him a couple times in person. I've listened to him speak multiple times. And today we get to get into his main topic, his main uh, focus, which is neurotyping. And neurotyping is basically how our neurological profiles, our personality types, determine how we should actually train and determine how we should eat and determine the supplements we should take and determine the type of training program we should follow. And we get deep into that today. And it's a really, really cool story of how he got into this, but also how influential our personality types are and how you can literally get the best results that you could possibly imagine by doing what is right for your personality type. And as a coach who has been practicing some of these philosophies for, um, I mean, shit, since I started learning this from him three, four, five years ago, I don't know how long it was ago that I that I first started learning this from him in person, but um, I've been imp implementing this stuff and it has changed the game, not only in my body and my results, but also with my clients. So I highly recommend you guys listen to this. I highly recommend you 
you get a notepad because he goes deep into the science and you can tell his, he's a very passionate and energetic guy when it comes to this stuff. So he is going to deliver a ton of content, a ton of value and a ton of information. So you're going to want to have a notepad so you can take notes, write things down and extract as much knowledge as possible. And then you're going to want to go over to his site, thibarmy.com because you are going to want to follow up on some of this shit. You guys are going to want to go on his site and watch his videos, read his blogs, um, purchase his certificate. If you're a trainer, you guys really need to get into this stuff and you guys are gonna you guys are gonna take a lot out of this i can't wait for you to hear now without any ranting or me boasting or me hyping him up let's get on to the actual conversation of myself and christian thibodeau well perfect man i'm already recording so let's just kind of go right into it and start with uh how you actually got into neurotyping like what made you go down the path of wanting to get involved with this system well i i think that it, it probably comes from my childhood really because i was always uh like the more introverted kid who had all these emotions was great at reading people and uh, was excluded most of the time because of that uh because i uh, some people called me weird because i always tried to uh, interpret others, people, uh, the way they were acting and stuff like that. Of course, my, my two parents being psychologists, I was brought up into that kind of milieu where you always talk about your feelings, about uh, how a certain situation make you feel and all that stuff, which is not something that's really, really common nowadays, probably because most parents prefer to spend more time at work or on social media or on the internet than with their kids. Uh, but, but then when we talk strictly about training itself, uh, it's something I, I always did instinctively in, in that my, my greatest asset as a coach has always been in the trenches to make adaptation to the program based on how the client was reacting, which is why my, my greatest asset has never been to design training programs. I know the science, I know how to design programs, but I, I was not any more special than any other coaches out there. It's really more my way of uh, like knowing, understanding each athlete I worked with than both adapting the program, but also adapting the way I coach them, the way I behave with them. Some people need to be pushed. Some people need to be challenged. Uh, some people... Uh, need to be cuddled. Some people need tons of technical feedback. Some people can't have lots of technical feedback. And I always did that instinctively. Uh, then what happened is about, I, I want to say about 12 years ago, I read an article by Charles Pollockett, who was my original mentor. And Charles uh, wrote about the, about the five elements of training. He correlated uh, each type of personality to the Chinese uh, element signs and explain, uh, okay, that fire type is dopamine dominant, for example, so he should be training that way. Now, my, my curiosity was piqued and I applied the concept, but I never found it to be 100% accurate or even 70% accurate for that matter, uh, especially using the Braverman assessment, which was the case with this approach. Mm -hmm. I never really found it to be my satisfaction so i started researching uh that topic a lot more and talking with other great coaches uh, with lots of experience with that kind of system they found the same shortcomings i did so so i, I dug deeper into neurotransmitter how they impact personality how they impact 
uh, the way you react to training, how, how much volume you can handle, what kind of training would be more important. And I'm telling you, man, every month I discover new elements that, that modify slightly how I approach the training of each of these newer types. But, but that, it really is from about 12, 15 years ago. And from that point on, I never stopped trying to accumulate knowledge in that regard because I believe that Training individualization is the future of training. And the more you can make a program and a coaching style adapted to your clients, the better results you're going to get. Uh, but I, I didn't find the solution that was up to my standards. I felt the need to get into deeper and deeper and deeper. And the process really started about three or four years ago uh, when I, I really focused solely on that part of the, uh, the training equation. So one of the things I've noticed since I started reading and, and learning from you and when you come spoke and, and just implementing that stuff is the consistency and adherence of just wanting to train and actually pushing it in the gym is that's one of the biggest benefits that I've noticed is because it, it's like you said it's individualizing the program to make me actually want to train week after yep. week after week and I think that's the biggest thing but I'd be curious to know what are all the like main benefits and why is it so important for people to consider their neurotype depending on what program they go with. Well, I think that you, you hit the nail on the head there because it, it, really the only two things that matter when training an athlete or a client is how hard you're going to be training and fixing your weaknesses. So if you can train hard, when I say hard, it's not screaming in the gym. It's not spending three hours in the gym. It's really being 100% focused and always striving to improve every time you can. Uh, and of course, we all want to improve, but training hard is stepping, stepping through the obstacles, continuing of pushing when, when the gains are hard to get by. And really, if you have a training program that fits your profile, you will be a lot easier to motivate because the type of work you're doing fits what your brain wants to do. And sometimes it's as simple as are you more goal-driven, like goal-driven in, in the fact I, I need to reach certain numbers, or am I feeling-driven? I, I need to improve a movement. I need to feel better when doing an exercise, like getting a better mind-muscle connection. So if you are number-driven and I'm coaching you because in a way to maximize mind-muscle connection or, whatnot, or, or coach you in a very technical manner, then you won't be satisfied with the program and you will lose motivation. So you need to be able to train the way you are designed to train. But, but it goes even further than that because neurotyping also tells us how a person responds to stress. Let's take, for example, someone, someone who is uh, dopamine dominant. People who are dopamine dominant are this way because they are super sensitive to dopamine. They might not have a high level of dopamine. In fact, in most cases, they will have a low level of dopamine. Because they don't need lots of it because they are so sensitive to its effect. So, so when people have a high level of, of dopamine or, or a high sensitivity to dopamine, they are a lot more confident. These are your people who are natural competitors. They want to win all the time. Everything is a contest with them. Now, these people also have a high level of serotonin or GABA. What does that tell me? It tells me that that person will recover really fast from neurological sessions. The reason is very simple. 
Okay. When you are lifting heavy weights or doing explosive work, you, you, you activate, you excite the nervous system. The more force you have to produce, the more you excite your nervous system. That's called neural activation. Now, more excitation simply means that your neurons are firing faster, firing faster, firing faster. And that leads to first, you're thinking faster. You are analyzing situation faster. You're also having faster reflexes and reactions. But it also increases muscle contraction strength. So that, that, that's why it's needed when, when you lift heavy weights or you do explosive work. Now, the thing is that neural activation, that state of activation requires resources to be maintained because that nervous system is firing on all cylinders. So after the session, you need to bring it back down get back into manageable levels so that you don't waste energy. And that requires your inhibitory neurotransmitter, GABA or serotonin. If you have a lot of it, like the dopamine-dominant people, well, these guys can bring their nervous system back down really easily after a workout. So maybe 30 minutes after the workout, their nervous system activation or activation level is brought back to normal levels. So but on the other hand, if you have someone who's uh, more anxious by nature, someone who has a lot of anxiety, someone who is under stress a lot, that person will naturally have a higher level of excitation, anxiety. Anxiety is nothing more than your neurons firing too fast. That's why when you are anxious, you are somewhat paranoid. You make up all these scenarios in your brain because your brain is ticking too fast for you. Now, these people, those who are more prone to anxiety, even at rest, their nervous system is functioning very, very fast. Now, if they do a heavy lifting session, what happens is they are exciting their neurons, but they don't have the neurotransmitter to bring them back down easily. So the nervous system keeps firing on all cylinders for hours and hours after the workout, making that heavy neurological workout a lot more draining of the nervous system. So they can't do neurological intense work often maybe once or twice a week. Otherwise, they, they, will, they will overtrain. They will have neurological fatigue. They will have brain inflammation or dopamine depletion. Whereas the type who are dopamine dominant with high serotonin or high GABA, right after the session is over, their nervous system is in recovery mode. And because a neurologically intense session does not fatigue the muscles, then they can train really, really, really frequently and lift heavy weight very frequently, but they can't do volume for another reason. So, so understanding the neurotype allows you to select the optimal amount of training volume, the optimal frequency, uh, how fast are you training, your training pace, how many exercises can you have in a workout? Now, if someone has a lot of acetylcholine, for example, which would be either a type 1B or a type 2A, if you have lots of acetylcholine, you have the capacity to multitask. So you can do many, many different exercises in a workout. You can change exercises really often. People with high acetylcholine levels are motor geniuses. These are the guys who learn new skills very easily very easily. So if the, these guys will transfer readily 
the gains they make on a strength movement to a different exercise. For example, if someone has isotylcholine, they could get stronger by training the front squat for four weeks. Then on, for four weeks, they will do a box squat. And afterwards, they move to a back squat and the back squat went up because they get a good transfer from similar but not equal, not, not the same lift. Whereas someone with low acetylcholine, they don't get that same transfer. They need to practice the exercise itself to become good at that exercise. Now, acetylcholine also makes you efficient at utilizing the stretch reflex because it sensitizes the muscle spindles, making the stretch reflex more effective. So if you have isotylcholine on top of that, you can do a lot of explosive work without burning your nervous system. So, so when you know the brain chemistry of someone, you know what kind of training they can do, but also how often you can change the exercises, how often you change the training methods. Uh, will you get a good transfer from the gym to the, to the, to the field? So, so that allows you to know, okay, I'm training with an athlete. He has high acetylcholine level. I can rotate the exercises in the gym frequently. And I know that even if he's not practicing his sport, when he's going to get started at this sport, when the season starts, he's going to get a great improvement. Whereas if someone has low acetylcholine, I know I will have to have him practice either a sport or at least some of some sport-specific drills to be able to transfer the gains made in the gym. So, so it made lots of difference as far as strength coaches for performance, but also for muscle gain when it comes to selecting the training that will have the least amount of stress impact on, on, on the body. Are there certain types that are more prone to, let's say, building muscle or building strength? Or is it just a matter of this type of person just needs to train this way to elicit a hypertrophy change? Um, I ask because you say some people are neurologically in a better place. Does that kind of put them in a space where they're going to be a power strength athlete and hypertrophy is going to be extremely hard to achieve? Or it's just a matter of tweaking things to get there? Well, I, I think that just like with everything, it comes down to genetics. But it's not just the nervous system. It's also uh, muscle fiber dominance. So if you have more fast-switch fibers, you'll obviously have a much greater potential for, for strength gains. Now, you can't really modify your, your muscle fi- fiber makeup, at least not increase the number of fast-switch fibers. You can convert fast-switch to slow-twitch fibers quite easily. The opposite is much, much, much difficult, much more difficult. Just like you, you can't really uh, change your neurotype. You can improve some neurotransmitter, but you always have the same dominance because dominance is more a matter of sensitivity than neurotransmitter levels. That having been said, even if you, for example, you are type three, type three would have the lowest ratio of fast switch fibers. You will, they would be more naturally anxious, introverted. Uh, they, they don't like variation. They are not naturally built to be explosive. So of course, they, they might not have the best makeup possible to get bigger or get explosive. But there's always a way to adjust the training so that they can at least become better in that regard, but a, a type three will never be the, the same explosiveness or strength as a type one B or one A, for example. Type one A and one B would be your dopamine dominant individuals. They're very confident, very uh, 
very competitive, uh, and especially the 1B. The 1B have high acetylcholine level. So these are your natural athletes, like your running backs, your wide receivers. Those athletes who just get, just get it. They are motor geniuses. They can play any sport they want, and they just get it. Uh, people we don't like. Now, on top of that, because of their acetylcholine level, they're naturally explosive. So they are gifted. So, of course, yes, they, they come with a distinct advantage when it comes to building strength, power, and muscle mass because they tend to have a higher ratio of fast-switch fibers. Now, the thing is that sometimes with a strength come, comes a weakness. So, so the types 1, the 1A, 1B, also have a lower tolerance for volume both neurologically and uh, physiologically because they are fast switch dominant. So, so if they train like a bodybuilder, especially the 1A, if the 1A train like a bodybuilder, he will overtrain and lose motivation because it's not the type of training that fits his profile. So the 1A might have a harder time building that bodybuilding physique, but he will be very strong, very powerful in a like fullback kind of way or linebacker kind of way. The 1B... The 1B can do some bodybuilding because acetylcholine will protect dopamine. I, I, I need to take a few steps back here to explain why being dopamine dominant normally means you can't do a lot of trading volume. Okay, um, When you are dopamine sensitive, so dominant, so you're sensitive to dopamine, it means that your body does not produce a lot of it in most cases. There are exceptions, but most cases, people who are dopamine dominant produce little dopamine because they don't need a lot of it. So at rest, they have low dopamine. So that's why they are, think about a sprinter or a running back or a wide receiver. They are at rest, they're chill, no stress, dude, no problem, man, right? Very relaxed, almost lazy. But once it's turned on, they are machines because when they start to compete or train, their dopamine increases. And since they're so sensitive to it, they become hyperactivated and they become high-performance machines. Now, the thing is, because they have low dopamine, when they are forced to produce it, they, they deplete it really, really soon, really, really fast. And when they deplete dopamine, that's when they will have symptoms of what is normally called CNS fatigue. CNS fatigue, in most cases, it's only a depletion of dopamine or resistance to dopamine caused by brain inflammation or, or nervous system inflammation. So if they do, someone who's dopamine dominant, super sensitive at low level, does too much volume, he will deplete his dopamine. Especially if they train in a way that spikes adrenaline, because adrenaline is fabricated from dopamine. So the more adrenaline they produce when they're training hard, well, the more of their dopamine they are using to produce adrenaline, the more likely they are to, of depleting it now. That's why they can't do a lot of volume. That's why uh, type 1A, naturally, instinctively, they will train at a slower pace. I mean, oftentimes, we, we say that if only they train hard in the gym. Well, they are. But just because they are taking four minutes between sets, chilling with their bros, doesn't mean they're lazy. It's, it's, it's a subconscious way to protect their dopamine levels. Now, a type 1B, 1B is also dopamine uh, dominant, so low dopamine, but very sensitive. But 
He has a lot of acetylcholine, which makes them really coordinated, really fast, really explosive. Now, that acetylcholine shares many of the functions of, do of, of, uh, of adrenaline, especially on muscle contraction strength and blood flow. So the more acetylcholine you have, the less adrenaline you need to produce to do the same job. And if you need to produce less adrenaline, then you don't need to deplete that dopamine to produce it. So you can tolerate a bit more volume. So, so, so knowing these things allow you to properly program an athlete. And often it allows you, it also allows you to better interact with them. Now, some people, like the, they, like the dopamine dominant people, like to be challenged, made fun of in the gym. I mean, because they are very competitive, they want to prove you wrong. But if you do the same thing with someone who is noradrenaline dominant, like me, people who have low self-confidence, low self-esteem, and you challenge them by making fun of them in the gym, they will lose confidence and it will hurt their performance. Same thing with someone who is anxious, introverted, a type 3, that will just create even more anxiety and anxiety will, of course, decrease performance. So, so, so knowing one's neurotype allow you to also better interact with, with a client, with an athlete. It's funny, too, because every time I hear you talk about it, uh, people start coming into mind or you start thinking about yourself. And like when you're describing yeah. the 1A, I immediately started thinking of one of my friends who always can train with a lower type of volume, heavy, heavy weight. He's super chill, just casual dude. But yeah. when we go play soccer or anything, it's like you turn on a switch and he's like the most explosive <laughs> dude, super fast, genetically gifted. And it's just like, it's funny when I hear you say that. So I would like, uh, I would like people to be able to have that same effect when they're listening to this. So let's kind of, if you can, like, let's go through each of the types real quick so we can break yeah. down yeah. each individual uh, neurotype. Well, well, the one A, well, you, you have three main dominances, okay? You have uh, the type one, type two, and type three, and the first two also have their subtypes. Uh, it, it, originally, the three broad categories, type one, type two, and type three, come from uh, the work of Dr. Cloninger, C-L-O-N-I-N-G-E-R, who's an American psychiatrist who worked with, mostly with drug addiction. So he, he basically... Uh, analyzed someone's brain chemistry and then correlated that with the person's personality. And he did that because he wanted to know which drug or which substance each neurotype could be the most easily addicted to and how to fight that addiction. So, so, so that was my starting point as far as neurotype is concerned. But I found that it was incomplete and then I created uh, the, the, the five profiles. Now, if you look at the type 1A, the type 1 are all dopamine dominant. So they're the neurotransmitter, they are the most sensitive to, the one that has the greatest impact on their behavior is dopamine. So the type 1A, the type 1A are very sensitive to dopamine, but they have low acetylcholine level. They also tend to have a lot of serotonin and lots of GABA, so they can actually handle stress really well. So that's why the, the 1A normally have a very low level of anxiety. They are great under pressure. 
when they are amped up, they easily go back down. So a typical example is, uh, like, like you just mentioned with your friend, they would, they, they would go super relaxed, super chill, but when the switch is on, it's on. But an hour after, it's like nothing happened, right? Uh, so, so because they have the capacity to bring their nervous system, ramp it really, really high, because they are so sensitive to dopamine, which is an excitatory neurotransmitter, but they also have the neurotransmitter to bring themselves back down. So the one A, the one A is the most competitive of them all, to a fault. So he's a, he's a very sore winner, but also a very sore loser. Uh, he, he is the one that will be the most vocal when in a game, for example, lots of trash talking. But even in life in general, that person is very vocal, likes to talk a lot. He, he wants to be the leader. He has problems with authority. They, they, they don't do well taking orders or following a structure. They want to do it their way or, or not do it at all. It's on or off. So they are very, very intense personality. When they do something, it's all out. They pull out all the stops. But when they are off, they won't do anything. Okay? So, so that is how they are. They, I have a very, very high level of self-confidence. Very high level of self-esteem. They don't care what other people think of them at all. If anything, they, they want to challenge other people. They, want, they will want to go against the grain just to prove them that they're wrong, even when they know they're right. These are the guys who, who love to argue, love to try to convince you, and in their mind, they are convinced that they can make everybody change their mind. They can convince anybody to change their opinion. So that would be the type one, a very vocal, has to be the leader, very competitive. As an athlete, normally they don't have the, the highest skill set. They are more about brute force. They, 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 it's not pretty, but they get it done because of their very high level of competitiveness and super high confidence in themselves. Now, because of that, these are the guys, because of their high tolerance to stress, they, they, they are amazing under pressure. These are the athletes who are the least likely to choke under pressure because right, choking is mostly due to anxiety. Anxiety is only the neurons firing too fast. Your neurons are firing so fast that instead of thinking faster, you are overthinking. Instead of reacting faster, you are overreacting or reacting too soon. Instead of having stronger muscle contraction, you have muscle tension that reduces range of motion. So you are overthinking, you are overreacting or reacting at the wrong moment, and you have muscle tension that affects your technique. That is the reason why people choke. Now, it totally is dependent on your level of the neurotransmitter that calms down your nervous system. So when you are under competitive settings, for example, adrenaline and dopamine speed up your neurons, and if you don't have the neurotransmitter to bring them back down, you will become overactivated, then you become anxious and you choke. People who are great under pressure are those who activate their nervous system, but also have the neurotransmitter to keep the, the, uh, the activation level optimal when they're competing. That requires a lot of serotonin or GABA. So these are super cool under pressure. The one A are the guys who will maybe be normal or like not so good 
when the stakes are not that important, like in training, for example, they don't perform that well in training. In, in a game against a weak opponent, sometimes you will lose them. But when it counts during the playoffs, they step their games up two or three notches because they are better than everybody under pressure. Okay? So that would be the one A. Now, they, they of course, can't tolerate lots of volume. They, they need heavy weights the most. They can recover really fast from heavy work as long as volume is kept low. But they absolutely can't, absolutely can't tolerate volume. They have the lowest volume tolerance of all the newer type. Now, their, their cousin uh, in the type 1 category, the 1B, the, the 1B is what I call the genius athlete, the skilled players, those who naturally are gifted they try any sports and they're pretty good at it right from the start they just have better motor control they learn very fast just from looking at a scale and then trying it a few times and they can master it very easily great body control because of acetylcholine they learn new movements super fast they are naturally explosive great at using the stretch reflex now because they are dopamine dominant they also have a very high level of, co of confidence and they are also very competitive but because acetylcholine is there they, they, they are not at the extreme point that the one a's are so they are super competitive but they are not like the same sore loser or trash talker most of the time. Sometimes they can have that when the stakes are very, very, very high. But normally they are more controlled. But, but, but more importantly is, is more the fact that they have more skill set. So, so they will have a, a much prettier uh, action. They are more like poetry in motion, if you want to call it that. Now, as far as their behavior... As far as their behavior is concerned, uh, they don't need to be the leader. They don't like authority that much, but they, they, they can handle not being the leader for the greater good. But, but they will always assume a role of like the silent leader, the guy who makes sure that the team, for example, or the group works well together. So, so when there are conflicts, these guys are the best at solving conflicts. They have enough confidence to talk to everybody to try to make them agree with each other. The type 1A would just try to force his way onto everybody else. And when there's a conflict, they use brute force to solve it, which doesn't always work. Now, uh, the other types, the... the, the the, uh, the adrenaline type, they, because of their lower level of self-esteem, when they try to solve a conflict, they want to avoid hurting everybody's feeling and nobody, nothing ever gets done. So the 1B are those normally are great at solving conflicts in, in a group. Now, they are very explosive persons. So both in training and physically, they are explosive, but also as person. These are the guys who will be super lazy, mellow, no stress, cool, they can nothings, they have ice in their veins, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, boom, like a big explosion, like a complete change of mood, like a, just like the nuclear weapon just been fired. Then 30 seconds after that crisis, it's as if nothing happened. My wife is like that. My wife is a 1B. So we will, if I, if I just tell her, for example, well, I think that you should 
uh, you made a mess uh, of the bathroom because you left your, your clothes on the counter, you, you should pick that up. She would explode and in a matter of five minutes, I will know everything I have done wrong over the past 10 years of our marriage. Uh, are you, do you really think you're ready to have kids? You don't sleep naked, you don't cuddle, uh, you never visit my parents, you don't like my family, everything goes, right? And then I'm crying in the corner of the room, right? And then 30 seconds later, she's in the kitchen saying, what do you want to eat tonight, honey? Like nothing's happened, right? Very explosive personality. So these are the guys who don't hold grudges. I mean, they, 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 they blow up in your face, then it's over. And then you have to deal with the, with, with, with the rest. But, so, so they are naturally gifted athletes. So, so they, they are better when they are also performance-driven. So they don't do well on like bodybuilding-type training. They, they need to have high force, high neurological training because they also recover really fast from neurologically intense work. But on top of that, they have the capacity to do explosive work really efficiently, so they recover really fast from explosive work. And they, they, they handle pressure, and they can, because of their acetylcholine, they can do a little bit more volume than their 1A counterpart. So they're normally they are, when you work with high-level athletes, especially in football, basketball, uh, high hockey to some extent, baseball, at the highest level, the best players always are of that 1B nature because they are also really good under pressure. Uh, the athletes that reach the highest level and that have a harder time under pressure or are very streaky players tend to be more of the 2A nature. The 2A nature is the first profile that is noradrenaline dominant, meaning that the neurotransmitter they are the most sensitive to is noradrenaline and adrenaline. Now, these hormones or neurotransmitters are at the greatest impact on confidence, on self-esteem. Someone who has low level of no adrenaline will have low level of self-confidence. And increasing no adrenaline will increase your self-esteem and confidence, just like dopamine does. So if someone is no adrenaline dominant, it means that they are very sensitive to it. And when they are at rest, they don't produce a lot of it. So, so that's my type. So when I'm at rest, I have a very low level of self-esteem. I'm super shy. I can't sustain high contact. Um, I'm not comfortable talking to people. Uh, if you talk to me uh, and I'm not expecting it and I'm not activated, you'd notice that I can barely like, connect two English words together. In fact, when I get tired and my adrenaline goes down, my accent becomes becomes a lot more pronounced. When I'm under lots of adrenaline, then my accent is, is much more subtle and I'm much more fluent in English. So that, that's one, one example. But, but, but at rest, people who, have, who are no adrenaline dominant will have a much lower level of self-esteem. But they become highly potentiated as soon as adrenaline goes up. So they almost are like, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, because for these guys, no adrenaline or adrenaline has the greatest impact because they are super sensitive to it. Now, the, these people uh, tend to uh, need 
other people's approval to feel good about themselves because, again, they have lower level of self-esteem. So, so they build their self-esteem mostly by how other people perceive them. They need to be respected. They need to be admired. They need to be loved. So, so these guys function that way. And, and when I was younger, because that's my type, when I was younger, that I, I really felt weak because of that, because I, I always wanted other people's approval. But really, it's not that I'm weak. It's the way my brain works. But it comes with some assets. Like the two A's are great at reading people. Because, well, just it, it, from an evolutionary standpoint, it makes sense. Because if you have lower level of self-esteem, and because it is from a neurological nature that you have, and you always had that ever since you were born. So right from the start of your life, you learn to cope with that situation. And right from the start, you needed approval to feel good. You needed to be liked, loved, and whatnot. But because of a lower level of self-esteem, you tend not to believe others when they tell you that they like you. Because in your deep down, you don't believe that you are you're worthy of being loved, liked, or desired. So because of that, instinctively, you became great at reading nonverbal cues, reading people, because that's the only source of information you can trust to know if someone likes you or respects you or whatnot. So when I give a seminar, for example, that's my greatest weapon because I, I write from the start, I, I know if someone is interested. I know if someone likes what I'm saying, if he likes my delivery, and I can target that person if he doesn't, and I can bring that person back in. So, so, and as coaches, 2A normally are pretty good because they can read the spirit, the mood of a team, of a team, of a client. Now, the 2As are, are sometimes hard to read because they are chameleons. They are people who mimic the most dominant person in their circle. So the two A's, they, they, want, they want to create a reciprocity with the person they are talking to. So they, they normally adapt their personality to the person they are talking to. That is their skill set. That's why most of the best actors are type 2As because they are naturally great at creating personas. Now, these people will normally mimic the strongest person in the group. That's why they are oftentimes the best second, like the best right-hand guy. Or in, in a sports team, they are great if they have a great leader. So they are the players who would be, who will have the greatest improvement from being paired with a dominant player. So if the leader of a team is a great player and a great attitude, uh, then the 2A will become potentiated. If the leader has more of a negative impact or is not uh, someone with good habits or you just put someone with natural skill but not the, the quality of a leader, uh, the quality of a leader, that, then he will be brought down. Uh, but never should a 2A be put in a leadership role. They don't like to make decisions. 2As, if you ask them, well, do you want to go see a movie? They will say, yeah, I can do a movie or I can do a restaurant, whatever you want. Okay, then you ask them, well, what movie do you want to see? I don't know, just pick one. They don't like to take decisions. So when they are put into a leadership role, 
even if they have good skills, even if they are a good athlete, they will, they will crumble under pressure because it's not their role. So they will be a lot more prone to choking under pressure if they are forced to be a leader. We see that all the time. Uh, a 2A athlete has a few good seasons, then he's, he's named team captain and he disappears just because he's not neurologically built to be a, a team captain and to assume a leadership role. And he is not comfortable in that. The two A's as athletes, they tend to be streaky players because of, they have a lower level of self-esteem, lower level of confidence. So when they are in a slump, they, they over-exaggerate the negatives and then they think that everybody's laughing at them. They think that everybody's making fun of them. And when the opponent is trash talking, it really hurts their feelings. But when they get on a hot streak, then it, it artificially increases their confidence because now everybody looks at them in a, in a different way and they are great at reading those subtleties. So, so, so they become streaky players. When, when, when they're hot, it just keeps on going and going and going and going. But when they get cold, it's really hard to pull them out of that slump because it's a neurological thing and they will interpret the nonverbal cues to reinforce their own belief that they are weak, that they are no good. So, so, so as athletes, they can actually be pretty good athletes. If they, on top of being low adrenaline dominant, they have high acetylcholine level, they can have the same type of skills as a 1B, right? But it is from a, a confidence standpoint that you will separate both of them. Now, uh, they, they are also people pleaser. They are Normally, the, 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 the two A's are really fun to be around they, they like, they, because they're people pleaser, but they are capable of interacting with people. But if you look at their counterpart in the type two category, the type two B's, type two B's, the one word that describes them is sensation. Okay, both training-wise and personality-wise. They, they, they need to feel. They need to sense. They are emotional people. And because of that, they are great at creating like a strong one-on-one -on -one connection, a strong bond. They will share their life story with you. They will get emotionally involved with you. They don't like to be in a group. They are not as comfortable being around many people. In fact, they are more in the introverted side of things. Uh, they are also, of course, adrenaline dominant, meaning that they have a lower level of self-esteem and they also need other people's approval, like likeness or love or being respected to, to feel good about themselves. But they are less social, so they might have a harder time going out and getting it. So, so they build that by creating very good, very strong one-on-one -on -one connection when they have the occasion and when they are comfortable with the person. Now, normally the type 2Bs would be referred as the good guys. The guys who will give you their shirt of their back just to help you out. The guys who will always put your own well-being before their own. These guys are very good at introspection. Very good at helping other people deal with their own emotions or deal with their bad situation. They want to help you. They thrive on that. Not surprisingly, most psychologists, most nurses will end up being, and a lot of massage therapists, for example, will end up being two Bs. 
because they just like to help other people. Now, they are also the most prone to choke under pressure because they, they are adrenaline dominant, but they also have low GABA and probably low serotonin. So they can amp up the nervous system easily when they are under adrenaline, but they cannot bring it back down. So when they are competing and they get activated, well, oftentimes they will get overactivated, leading, leading to anxiety and bad performance. And of course, they, they can easily become overthinker, paralysis by analysis, uh, lying in bed at night, creating all those scenarios in their brain because that's what they do. Type 2Bs are great at creating those stories in their brain and it, it's, it's, it's so, they are so effective at doing that that they actually believe it's the truth and it affects their behavior and self-confidence. Now, as far as training is concerned, these are your pure bodybuilding types. They need to feel a great mind-muscle connection. You need to feel a pump. They, they can do a very high amount of volume of bodybuilding, non-neurologically dominant work. But as soon as you include heavy lifting, their capacity to volume drops down at least in half because they just can't bring their nervous system back down after the workout. So that also has to be taken into consideration. Now, the type 3, the type 3 is more uh, serotonin dominant. So the problem is they have low serotonin. Now, of all the neurotypes, the type 3 has the highest level of anxiety and cortisol. Because of that, they are extremely introverted or they are very introverted. Uh, they prefer to be alone. Uh, they prefer to work on a time schedule. Uh, they, they don't do well with unexpected events. Uh, they prefer to follow a strict routine, always doing the same thing at the same time. So, so they, they don't like variation. They don't like novelty. They don't like excitement. And, and then again, it's only as a protective mechanism. Someone who has low serotonin and low GABA or low sensitivity to these hormones, neurotransmitter, uh, what happens is that at the slightest, at the slightest change or uh, stress, their neurons are firing on all cylinders. And because they don't have lots of serotonin, because they don't have lots of GABA, they cannot bring it back down. So they stay activated. And throughout the day, it piles on and on and on and on. Now, that's why they don't like variety. That's, like, that's why they don't like new things. New things that are unexpected create a higher activation of the nervous system because it's a new stimulus to evaluate and react to. That's why people who are dopamine or dopamine dominant like love variation because it stimulates their brain and they need that. But the, the, those guys, the type three, are always overactivated. So they are they shy away from variation and novelty because it's a protective mechanism to avoid overactivating their nervous system even more. That's also why they don't like that. That's why they are introverted. When someone is introverted, it's a protective strategy to avoid increasing neural excitation even more because it's already too high and they don't have the capacity to bring it back down. 
Type three are also paranoid, self-protective, and they are great at planning, creating a plan because they need it to feel secure. The better, the more complete their plan is, the more comfortable they feel. So when you're talking about their training, their training is the opposite of what most of us like to do. They should not have variation. They should stick with the same exercises over and over and over and over again because new exercises will only increase anxiety and increase cortisol. And because of their higher level of anxiety, they also overproduce cortisol, which is why they have a harder time building muscle. That's why they have the typical marathon runner physique. They are naturally more attracted to it during sports also, but it's, it's because they are overproducing that cortisol that they have a harder time building muscle and getting really, really lean. So that's what you need to control. So variation in training will actually hurt them. And they can't train heavy often or explosive often because it takes a longer time for them to recover. Just like they can't, they should not amp themselves up before a workout. They are already amped up. Their nervous system is already firing too fast. What they need is to get calm to increase the parasympathetic system, to decrease anxiety. And again, anxiety is only an overactivation of the nervous system that is out of your control. That's all it is. I'd be curious of where the variation comes into play for one and two. Um, as you were talking, I'm kind of putting myself in the 2B category. And yeah. what I noticed with my training is I love supersets. I love bodybuilding style training. Yeah. I, I don't like taking long rest periods because I'm, I'm naturally yeah. an impatient person. Is that normal in the two category? Just it is. It's it's absolutely normal. The, the the two neurotypes that need to train the fastest are the type twos. Okay. And it's very easy to understand. The neurotransmitter that potentiates them is adrenaline. So adrenaline makes a type two feel like ten times the person he is. That makes the, the type two feel uh, feels amazing. And if you want to spike adrenaline, well, train fast. The faster you train, the more adrenaline you're producing. So for a type 2A and 2B, definitely they need to train at a faster pace. Where does CrossFit fall into place with all this? Because I think of CrossFit as like a 1A from an explosive standpoint. But then if you look at how much variation is in and how fast-paced CrossFit is. It, well, it, first, CrossFit would be more 1B. Uh, explosiveness is 1B. The type 1A, they can be explosive. They can be explosive, but they are more brute force kind of guys. Uh, okay. The true explosive athletes would be the 1B. Now, from, from, I've worked with tons of CrossFit athletes over, over the years, of course. And I would say that most good CrossFitters, the competitors, are either 1Bs or 2As. Some are type 3, but these are the ones with like the super engine. Like they, they never break, but they, they, they might not have the same strength level as other people. Now, I will start with the, the, those who are naturally designed to be great CrossFitters. Then I'm going to address the special cases. Now, the, 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 first of all, to be good at CrossFit, you need high level of acetylcholine. That's the first thing you need. And it's very simple to understand because acetylcholine is the neurotransmitter that allows you to learn skills, but not just skills. Learning in general, memory uh, and motor control is highly acetylcholine dependent. 
So when someone has a higher level of acetylcholine, they will learn skills very easily. Not only that, as I explained earlier with a transfer, these guys don't need to do the actual movement to get better at the movement. These are the guys who can train the muscles involved in the movement. They don't even practice the movement. And when they do it, they, they are better. I've had several CrossFit athletes like that. They, they might not do a single muscle up for, for months. And when they do it, they're getting better just because their back and arms are getting stronger. Uh, so the, the first thing you need to be a good CrossFitter is a high level of acetylcholine. Because if you don't, you will need to keep practicing all those skills all the time. And of course, from a volume perspective, it's not, just not possible. So, so you need to be really uh, high acetylcholine level. Uh, and by extension, that will actually make you naturally explosive. Because acetylcholine is what sensitizes the stretch reflex. So they will be great at using the stretch reflex at the bottom of a butterfly pull-up, for example, or at the bottom of a, of a kipping dip or anything like that. So, so it really helps you in that regard. Uh, also, you'll notice that most crossfitters are better at the power clean from the hang, power snatch from the hang than from the floor because they can use the stretch reflex a little bit more. Look at a crossfitter deadlifting. They will often like, raise their hips faster then the bar is raising up because they want to use a stretch reflex in the hamstrings to get the weight up. I'm not saying it's a good technique. I'm saying it's a natural tendency when they want to go fast. So you need the acetylcholine. So right from the start, that is mostly type 1B or type 2A. Um, now the type 1B, their advantage, of course, is that they will be very competitive, very confident. So under competitive settings, they will kick ass. But the problem is that they can't tolerate tons of volume. So if they do a typical like CrossFit programming of three hours a day, they, they will crash. I've had very high-level CrossFitters that were 1B. One girl who was a former national uh, team gymnast, national-level gymnast. She was also a national-level Olympic weightlifter. She was ranked very highly regionally in CrossFit, but her problem was always she couldn't tolerate volume. Of course, I was only doing her Olympic lift training so the, the, and the coach. I didn't know about the neurotypes back then, so I could not tell the coach, well, don't do too much volume with her because he was giving her the same volume as some other athletes and they were recovering fine, but she just couldn't do it. And she was crashing all the time because as a type 1B, she can't do the same amount of volume. So that would be their shortcomings. The other issue is that they might not be as great at tolerating um, an increase in acidity of the muscle. People claim it's lactic acid. It's mostly hydrogen ions, but you get what I'm saying. So that's something they will have a trouble with. They will be pretty good at, uh, they will be great at all the skills. They will be really strong, but, but they might crash during the longer wads, especially if lactic acid is present. Now, the type 2A, most of the CrossFit Two A's you will find are those who, well, they're pretty easy to spot. A two A who does CrossFit wears his robe shirt even out of the gym. They're dressed like CrossFitter all the time. That's a two A. Because two A's like to mimic. They, they, they need a two A to be motivated. They need to have an emotional buy-in 
into a system and they need to feel like they belong. I'm a 2A and I'm going to tell you a story that explains exactly what I'm saying. A, a few years back, okay, I, I, was, uh, I was getting out of the hospital when I had my, my health problems and I lost tons of muscle mass and I said, well, if I can't be big, at least I'm going to be powerful. So I'm going to do the Olympic lifts again. I'm going to go back to Olympic weightlifting. So I, of course, I had not done the Olympic lifts in many years. I was coaching them, but, but not doing them myself. So I said, I'm going to start from scratch. So I was researching the more modern technique, and I, I fell on Klokov. I mean, Klokov was the greatest influence uh, in Olympic weightlifting at the time among crossfitters because he was very popular in that, that circle. He looked great, he was strong, he was awesome, great personality. And lucky for me, I was actually able to find Klokov's program. I'm, I'm got super excited. Right? I'm like this international level trainer. I've worked with pro athletes. I've worked with pro bodybuilders, uh, CrossFit game CrossFitters. And I'm like this little kid because he's going to be doing Klokov's printing program. And I bought like the Klokov winner Russia t-shirt, right? So I'm training in Klokov's shirt. I'm actually walking like Klokov walking up to a bar. It's, it's, it's the two A's they need to get excited like that. So they, they really buy into the whole CrossFit kind of thing because they need that to, I mean, we joke around that, how do you know if someone is a CrossFitter? Well, within two seconds, he'll tell you. The same thing with a vegan or something with somebody who's doing keto. Yeah. When that happens, it's because that person is a 2A most of the time. 2A, they, they need to feel like they belong to something. They need that group support because they need other people to like him, respect him, etc. So when they are in that group and everybody's telling them how great they are, uh, how great that, that method of dieting is and all that stuff, they believe in it and they, they are better for it. But not everybody's like that. So a 2A would be more prone to doing that. So CrossFitters, a 2A, if he has high acetylcholine level, he, he can do very well because the acetylcholine will make them fairly well skilled. Uh, and because... 2A are those who can tolerate the highest amount of volume. They can tolerate neurological and they can tolerate muscular work. So they actually make great crossfitters. They are not the naturally gifted crossfitters like the 1B, but they are those who can compensate by working harder than everybody else to get there. And because they need to be desired, admired, liked, loved, or whatnot, they are willing to get extra work just for that reason. The problem is that under competition settings, oftentimes they might crumble under pressure. They are not as good as the 1B for, for performance. I'm going to give you an example of one CrossFitter I worked with. She was a girl. I'm not going to name names. I don't like naming names. But she's the kind of... She, she was like always when, during the open top score in the world or top five score in the world among that area. Uh, but when she competed face-to-face -face with her idol, because she was like a nobody in CrossFit at the time, so when she was facing people that she was seeing as her idols, she just crumbled. Because remember, the type 2A does not want to be the leader. Subconsciously, they want to be the second. So they, and they mimic the person that has the greatest influence. So they are very more, more, much more easily 
starstruck or intimidated by people who they admire. Now, that girl now, because it's been, she's been in the, in the competition circuit for a long time, she doesn't, that, that doesn't have that anymore. She was able to fight it off, and now she's performing amazingly well. But at first, that's how she acted, even though she was posting better numbers in training on the open, when she was face-to-face, she was having a harder time. Now she's dominant. So, but it, it requires a lot more time. So the two A's don't have that naturally. The one B don't care who you are. They, they, they're going to beat you. Okay. Now, the type three. The type three can also be, have some weapon to be good crossfitters because they are great at endurance. They, anything that involves running for a long distance or just cardiovascular-wise, they are, they are great. So, so the athletes have that skill set going for them. They, they are not as great at learning new skills. They, they also overproduce cortisol. Now, I'm going to shock you here, but just like pretty much every sport, there's a lot of drug usage in CrossFit. Okay? <laughs> and of all the neurotypes, the type 3 are those who will benefit the most because their number one issue is cortisol. So that is what is preventing them from building muscle, getting super lean, all that stuff. So if they can control that artificially by, by using drugs, then they, are at, they, they take away their one biggest issue. And since they are built for endurance, they can train long hours, they can do the volume, and over time they can get better and better and better, which they would not be able to do if they're natural. So, so, so that would be the one exception. But most people who are great at CrossFit would be uh, the type 1B and the type 2A. The 1A who does CrossFit would just crash. It's just too much volume. It's just too much volume. The 2B can do it because they just because they would fall in love with I want to be admired, but they will not stick with it normally because they prefer to have that pump going, that mind-muscle connection. And of course, when you're trying to get as fast as possible and not concentrating on form, oftentimes you don't get that. Where at what point does nutrition play a role in this? Because I got to imagine it shifts from <coughs> type to type. Yeah. What do you mean? Sorry, sorry I was uh, my, my my block here prevented me from hearing that last part. Oh, um, nutrition. I mean, I got to imagine nutrition yeah. plays a, a huge role, or at least shifts a little bit between type to type. Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah for sure. both diet content as well as what are the most likely uh, eating disorder right up to the best eating pattern. So for example, uh, if you take the, the type 2A, type 2A, the one word that describes them is variety. The type 2A, they need variation. So, so their type of adhering to a very strict diet is very hard if it's repetitive. So they need phases. So they need to vary the type of eating. They need either more recipes or every few weeks they change their approach. They, for example, me, I can never stick for more than four weeks to a certain type of diet. I mean, I've tried keto and I felt great, but after four weeks, I was just sick and tired of it. Uh, I did uh, the cycle diet by Scott Abel. worked amazing. After four weeks, I got sick of it. So I need variation. So that's the one thing. But um, uh, but it, it really depends on the person. Of course, nutrition, meaning do you, are you looking for nutrition for losing fat or improving performance because it changes. Right? Like, for example, the, if we're talking about fat loss, fat loss, the type 1, 1A, one 1B, one need to use a very aggressive approach because 
they, they need to see results faster, but also from a neurological perspective, because of their dopamine dominance, they are more affected than other types by a, a decrease in leptin levels. So if they diet for a long time, leptin will, will affect them a lot. So they need, but, but they are also those who produce the least amount of cortisol. And, and so let's just backtrack for a second here. Okay, cortisol's function, its main function is to mobilize energy. Okay, we understand that. And cortisols uh, will be responsible for breaking down glycogen, turning it into glucose so you can use it when you're working out, for example. It will also break down stored fatty acids so you can use it for fuel during training, for example. But sadly, it also breaks down muscle tissue into amino acids. Now, another function of cortisol that is similar but less well understood, <clears throat> cortisol's first function is to stabilize blood sugar level. So, so when blood sugar level goes down, cortisol is increased to bring it back down by increasing the release of stored glucose. So, so when blood sugar level dips down, you increase cortisol. But you can also use other hormones to do the same job. You can use glucagon and you can use growth hormone. Now, glucagon is pretty much the same for everybody else. But I noticed that depending on your neurotype, people will either use more cortisol or use more growth hormone to, to reestablish proper blood sugar level. People who are great under stress, people who have low anxiety, the type 1, 1A, one 1B, one when they have low blood sugar levels, they will tend to release a little bit more growth hormone than cortisol to increase blood sugar level. People who have higher stress levels, people who have lower serotonin, lower GABA, more anxiety, they will tend to produce more cortisol than growth hormone when blood sugar level goes down. So, so right from the start, that tells us that a type 1 will be able to go low carbs, for example, or even intermittent fasting without the fear of losing as much muscle because instead of over-releasing cortisol, you might release a bit more growth hormone. It, I believe that the only people who can actually gain muscle on an intermittent fasting diet would be the type 1 types. I'm not saying it's the best approach. I don't think it is. But I'm thinking, I'm thinking it's possible for them to gain muscle. Whereas if you put a type 3 on either a pure low-carbs diet, or intermittent fasting, they're going to lose muscle and they're likely going to not lose fat as efficiently. Now, I'm not saying that. Okay, I still believe that by far the most important element when it comes to losing fat or, or gaining muscle is caloric balance. Okay, it's, It probably accounts for 70-75% of your gain. So it's all about uh, if protein level is high, then caloric intake is the number one factor involved in losing fat, getting leaner, or building muscle. But where those calories come from can play a, a certain role depending on your, your neurotype. And the more cortisol you produce, the less well you will do on severely restricting your carbohydrates because carbohydrates, when you cut them off, well, you will have low blood sugar level. I mean, you can't avoid that because you, well, you don't consume any glucose. So you will have to mobilize glucose that is stored 
or create new glucose from amino acids. In both cases, that requires the release of cortisol. So, so, so people who have a, a higher level of anxiety, uh, type 3, type 2B, will need to have more carbohydrates in their diet. The problem is that oftentimes they can't handle large carbohydrate feedings at, at any given time. So, so it, they need smaller, maybe 20, 25, 30 grams of carbohydrates several times throughout the day when dieting down to, uh, to maintain that stable blood sugar level or consuming carbs that are slow, more slowly absorbed just to maintain that blood sugar level stable. But I would not do a typical low carbs or much less intermittent fasting. So that, that would be one example. Of course, it, it goes much deeper than that, but, but that is something to consider. Now, you also have to consider the potential eating disorders that can come with each neurotype. Now, the, the types one, one A, one B, normally their, their, their tendency will be to eat more for pleasure because they are more sensitive to dopamine. So they get a higher pleasure response from eating sugary food and sometimes just fast food also that is high in both carbohydrates and salt and fats, pleasure food. They have a higher pleasure response from them. So they can more easily get addicted to that kind of eating. So bland eating is really hard for a type one. And so they are less likely to binge out, but they will be more likely to have like always a little something eating for pleasure than, than functional speaking. So that would be their one pitfall, uh, avoiding those desserts, avoiding that, that cup of wine or whatnot, okay? Uh, the type two, the type twos are those who will be the most prone to binging, especially binging in the form of carbohydrates. Uh, that is their biggest pitfall. The, the main difference is that the 2A, the 2A will binge out and not feel super guilty about it and he won't do anything special. Now, I, can, I can gain 20, I once gained 27 pounds in six hours, but I didn't, well, I felt bad physically because I basically had to give birth the next day, but I didn't feel bad psychologically. But a type 2B, the type 2B will binge and then will fast the next day or will train three times the next day to compensate for the overeating, building that love-hate relationship with food. So you will binge out, but you won't even enjoy the binge because he starts feeling guilty. So, so it's, it's a very hard thing to, to avoid. So in my, when I'm working with the two Bs, normally I never include cheat meals. I include refeeds, but not cheat meals because it, it, they will easily get addicted and just go way, way, way overboard. The type three are those who are the most likely to have anorexic behavior, anorexic behavior, because anorexia is, is, well, yes, it's an eating disorder, but it's really all about control. You are showing your body that you are in control. Even when you are hungry, you are deciding when you are eating. And that's why oftentimes type three people who had either psychological, physical, or sexual abuse that made them feel that like they were losing control over their body are much more likely to develop those uh, anorexic behavior 
because it's a way for them to regain control of the body and they felt that they lost that control. So type three, and for type three, just think about your, your typical, typical endurance person. They are chronic over-exerciser. They will do like three, four, five hours of cardio every single day and chronic under-eater. Well, first, because they have low appetite, but also because for them, it's a way to show control. So these are the, the, the main potential eating this. Of course, a type 1A can also binge out. But it's funny because I was giving a, a, private, a private presentation or private uh, uh, <clears throat> seminar this weekend, and one of the coaches there was a type 1A, and he said, well, no, I don't binge out, but if my friend is binging out, I'm going to beat him. So it's a competitive nature going on. But all types can, can be prone to any of the eating disorders with the right situation. But you always will have some types of disorders that you will be the most prone to having a diet. So much information, man. I love this because it just, it gears. There's a lot of coaches that listen to this. And there's a lot, I mean, obviously everybody who listens to the podcast is focused on changing their body or changing their performance. So I want to respect your time. We've already gone over an hour, but there's so much golden information of how people can steer in the right direction to change their diet, change their training. How can people get more resources from you to go even a step further? Um, where is this all located for you? So they can just kind of go deeper and start to really nail down exactly what type they were if they didn't get enough from the show. Well, if, if you go to uh, tibarmy.com, I have several videos, at least 12 videos on, on all of these neurotypes, how they should train, how they should eat. Even my articles on Tibarmi are, if you go to the neurotyping section, I, I, one thing I do, for example, I look at, okay, what are the best fat loss methods for each neurotype? So you're 1A, what kind of method should you be, can you do cardio? Yes, no. Can you do loaded carries? So I look at the best method for fat loss you have other articles like uh, how to modify clusters how to modify drop sets how to modify rest pause depending on your neurotype which methods are the best for each neurotype uh, and if you want to take it a step further i offer uh, an online certification also on tibarmi.com uh, that is 12 hours of material of video material and of course uh, text support uh, to explain the system. Uh, we have, it's, it's the full material I give when I give the seminar. So you can actually do the seminar online at pretty much the same cost or even less expensive than when you are in person. Perfect. Well, I'll put all of that in the description. So if anybody's listening and wants to check any of this out, click the link below. Christian, thank you so much for coming on, man. Anytime, man. If you, if you want to do a follow-up, if you have more than two people watching me, then I'm up anytime. <laughs> All right, guys, that is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show today. A couple quick announcements before I let you go. First and foremost, I just want to encourage you to check out the products I have in the description. First one is the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is a very cheap guide to literally mastering your diet. That's why it's called the All-Inclusive Guide to Mastering Your Diet. It's going to teach you exactly what and how to manage your calories, your macros, your meal timing, your supplements, your micronutrients, literally everything you need to know about dieting and nutrition and how to change your body composition through nutrition is included in this book, not just to get your results, but to actually teach you how to get those results along the way. 
The next thing is gonna be Functional Muscle, which is my first and right now my biggest product out there. This is the program that is based on years and years and years of functional training with tons of clients. So whether your goal is strength, fat loss, or muscle gain, you should be strength training towards these goals while prioritizing functional movement patterns to make sure that you are avoiding any injuries along the way. That's exactly what this program does, and it's great because it guides you through the process, it changes throughout the process, and it gives you demonstrations and explanations about everything you're doing so you never get confused and you always have a solution. You also get access into the Boom Boom Performance Podcast Forum. That is the only way into the forum, and that's where you can ask me literally anything about anything, and I will help guide you through the process. Last thing I want to mention, guys, is if you could leave me a five-star rating and review, that would be fantastic because it literally is one of the biggest and best ways for me to grow in the iTunes charts. Oh, yeah, and real quick, if you're not subscribed, hit the damn subscribe button because I constantly bust out content for you guys, and I spent a lot of time and effort making sure that you guys can get better results for free by simply listening to this podcast. All right, guys, I'll catch you next time.